0: Alright everyone, welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers where we have the amazing Michael Brent callings. If you haven't heard them on the show, well then you have no clue what a golden baby is or what they're used for. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're in the lucky majority. <laughs> but more than likely, most of you have heard what a golden baby is and what Michael Brent wants to do with one, but that's okay, we're not here to talk about that. So we're here to talk no, about. and we already covered
1: we already covered horse semen before we
0: oh, started. So.
1: Yes. <laughs> um, to be distinguished from being covered in horse semen, which is not okay.
0: Not not okay. No, not at all. <laughs> um, nor nor is sitting in another booth where you have a live horse urinating next to you while trying to do a podcast. Uh, it smells. Yeah. It's there. Yeah, pretty they're,
1: much anything that comes out of a horse, you just you, you should stay away from.
0: Yeah. Yes.
1: Unless I, it's a baby horse and then they're so darling.
0: Then they're cute and cuddly and you yeah. want to touch them. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> The third book of the Sword Chronicles is out, Child yes. of Ash. This has been a long yes. three book series and you you are always excited when you wrap up a series. So Yeah,
1: it, you know, I I like series but it's um Gosh, I'm just... I was not good at dating. I mean, I dated a lot, but it was always different people, and I'm finding out more and more as a writer. It's like, I think... It's not because I was a player. It's just because my attention span and my ability to retain important information like birthdays or character names sucks. So,
0: <laughs> Yeah, no. I—I I, I have I have a notebook, and I keep notes, but even then, I'm still... Like, I forget stuff. It's like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah. That character has... No, she doesn't have brown hair. She, she was a blonde in the last book. I mean, granted, I could totally explain that by she got her hair dyed, but yeah, sometimes no, those I... small, minute details just slip your mind.
1: Yeah, I actually had some beta readers go. You know, you're referring to a dead person because I do that. Like, I, I forget names or all. I will just start thinking of a random character from a f- previous book. And and this is an epic trilogy. It's like it's got a cast of hundreds over time, and and it gets narrowed down because it's me. So people die, but still, it's like, ah, oh, I can't remember was this person alive or dead or did they have scars? And I had I actually have a forty page triple-column, single-space, very small font concordance with every piece of information. Every time I mention a character, I will write down what that character, you know, if something changed about them or their hair color or eye color, all that stuff, where they came from, and it still freaking kills me.
0: (laughs) Wow. That's that's insane. That's massively crazy. Yeah. So, you know, what? I mean, that does bring up a good question because – what do you do? Because you you pump out quite a few books every year, and you're yeah. you've kind of moved back and forth. Like you know, Predators just came out, and you have those characters. Now you're here working on this book, and this is out, and you have those characters. How do you keep those separated? You know, especially when you're working what? on multiple books like that. Well, so
1: that's the thing is I'm not really working on multiple books. I'm pretty – I am a fairly monogamous writer. I mean, I'm a serial monogamous, but I I mostly just work on one thing at a time. So what will happen is, like, when I was writing Predators, um, which is, like you mentioned, the last book I released, it came out three months ago. And by the time I was two-thirds of the way through that, I knew my next project was going to be to finish the Chronicles. And so I kind of – I didn't really um, think about it or write about it or, you know, prep particularly, but it was in the back of my head, and I think my subconscious was sort of percolating, and that's really helpful because then when I finished Predators and I closed it down and I moved it to the back burner, and, you know, you still, because I'm an indie, so I still have to do marketing, and I'm still sending out emails about Predators, but that's kind of empty brain work a lot of the time, and so it all basically was the equivalent of downtime for my brain to just sit there going you know, well, emails are really boring, so what can I think about? Oh, I know, I'll think about Sword Chronicles. So by the time I started outlining, I had a fairly good sense of where I was going to go, at least for the first little while. And that's pretty typical for how I work. By the time I'm winding down a book, by the time I get to the end, there comes a point, like, I don't know, for every writer, but most writers I know, there's this point kind of towards the end of the middle where you're like this is it this is the one where everyone discovers I suck and because I have no idea how I'm going to end it or you know write myself out of the corner I wrote myself into and then it breaks and it works and then it's really easy in the last hundred pages it's like oh I know exactly where everyone's going and I knowing what they're doing and it just frees up a lot of brain space for me to start toying around with whatever the next project is going to be.
0: No, I, I you know I will be honest, I'm glad to hear that you still have those moments where you're like, man, they're just going to find out I'm a fraud, and I suck because I oh, every time you know,' my second book's coming out in June, and I feel you know I feel like that like all the time I' like, man, this is, this sucks they're, they're going to okay, read so this, they, and they're they, thinking I'm just some idiot that just decided, oh hey yeah. I 'm going to write a book."
1: Yep, and and it never. I don't know about everybody, but for me, it never goes away. I mean, like I've had a lot of people read read my books, and and I do okay. And to this day, when I'm like, I will be at a signing, and people are there to have me sign their book. And when they walk up and say, "I read your book," my immediate impulse is to lean back because what if they're going to hit me?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My my first thing is like really. I you know I have yeah. a I have a neighbor, um, he has told me he's read my book thirty one times and every one of my every time he comes and tells me that I'm like, really, are, are you sure? Yeah. And, and it's not to like say that I suck, but it's like really you've you've liked it that much that you've read it that many times and like he keeps yeah. coming to me like, dude, does this happen in the second book? What about this? And I'm just like, yeah, you're gonna have to wait. I, luckily, yeah. I can't I can honestly say some of the things he's asked me about. is like, ooh, that's a good idea. I'm, I'm I never would have
1: thought of that, but that's excellent, yeah. and I will steal it. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a secret between a mediocre writer. I think it was Sir Lawrence Olivier. He was talking about actors, but it applies. He said, mediocre actors borrow from other actors. The great ones steal and make it better. Oh. So stealing is part of the job. You know, you, I mean, you don't want to take people's concepts, but you see something they... They almost did right. And that, you know, like I tell people I love going to see crappy movies when I'm having a day where I'm just not feeling it because there is nothing that makes me quite as animated as seeing a great piece of storytelling and going, man, I want to do that. Or a really crappy piece and going, oh, I could have fixed that so many ways.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, there's been several movies I've and I'm like, that's really cool. I need to do something in one of my stories that's like that. Or yeah. Better. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yep. There's, there's, you can get creative ideas anywhere. And and that's one of the fun things about being a writer too, is it's like you take your office where you go, you take your, your office is your brain and, and you get to power up that particular computer. Anytime you see something interesting, which is, I mean, it's so fun. And, that's one of the neatest things I think about being an author is actually you get an excuse to engage your curiosity because I think as we get older, like it costs us more and more to ask questions because we don't want to feel dumb or look ignorant or have people not respect us. But if you're a writer, you can walk in and be like, this looks really cool. Can you tell me about it? Because I write books and they're, you know, people go awesome. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes. And... Uh, and I do know I'm probably on some list now because of my Google search, and I'm sure you are as well. Oh, uh, heck yeah. Oh, my gosh. I, I never thought it would be that bad, but it's like, ooh, how do I make this work? And then you Google search it, yep. and it's out there. Um, yep.
1: Oh, okay, so here's my here's my awesome search history story. It's not, well, it's a little about search history. So I will work... Um, I don't work at home because I don't want my wife to divorce me. And I think she would realize what a horrible person I am if I was home 24 seven. So I go to like McDonald's or I go to Starbucks or just whoever has a Wi-Fi and some soda pop I can refill once or twice. So I went to McDonald's this one day and I'm writing a screenplay in which, um, the main character is getting tortured. And so, but I didn't want to do, you know, electrical outlets and stuff that you see kind of every day. So I I'm like, I'm going to go old school. And I started researching medieval horror or torture methods. And the two disturbing, most disturbing things were, first of all, how many websites have that stuff? And second of all, how many of them seem to be run by teenagers? (laughs) So I'm researching this stuff, though, and it's and it's it's actually really fascinating. I'm looking through old online. I'm looking through old illustrate or uh, illuminated manuscripts you know the beautiful ones the priests would write and 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 some of them are about really specific like inquisition Here's how you break a person. So I'm looking at these, and then I realize I'm in the executive section. You know, some McDonald's think they're like, we're going to be sexy, and they put a little area that they're like, this is for Wi-Fi. So I'm sitting in their little executive section, and I realize their executive section is right next to the ball pit. So I am looking at some dude getting, you know, something shoved up his keister and coming out of his mouth as seen by a 15th-century monk, and these little kids are playing. So I'm like, well, that's not good. And I turn the computer just kind of trying to, you know, move the screen away. And then I realize I just became the creepy guy sitting outside the ball pit who is adjusting his computer for the children. And I left. Like you couldn't recover.
0: <laughs> no. No, you can't recover from that. No, I mean the last book when I was writing, I, I wanted to write this really cool scene where this villain – horribly horribly poisons this guy Mm -hmm. went searching for it yeah there's tons of material on that and what type of poisons do what and how it reacts with their body and i'm just like Wow, this is something I never realized I wanted to know. But hey, that's cool. That'll work. Yeah,
1: oh, totally. Yeah, totally. It's fat. You know what's weird, too, is like the things you can't find because uh, you you find a lot of stuff. It's like, here's how to make a nuclear weapon, and you could find that. And then uh, for uh, my Colony series, which is a zombie. Series And the main characters get on a uh, train at one point and they're traveling around and it's all set in a specific location. So I am following actual landmarks and I was like, I want to get the train stuff right. So I'm going to look up the train route and I could not find it because that's hard target infrastructure stuff. So there's, you cannot find like the layout of the railroad tracks across the United States. The, The only way you can do that is to, you know, follow them in a car or walk them and do your own mapping because they just don't show up in search results and stuff. And then I reached out to some of the train companies. And though most people really are receptive, if you're like, I'm a writer and I want to write about this, they love showing you stuff. But I called these train companies and, man, I was expecting Homeland Security the way they reacted. (laughs) 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 Why do you want to know? I told you I'm a writer. A likely story.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I was researching uh, the layouts of airplanes. Nope, those aren't available yeah. either. They don't yeah, want really you to know not. where you can place certain things. Um, yeah.
1: yeah, well, I could, you could probably figure out how to buy a child, but easier than you could do
0: that stuff, Yeah. <laughs> yes, very much so. So, yeah. let's talk about Sword Chronicles, because we kind of went away <laughs> from that. Which It went so dark it, it for happens. a second. So... Yeah, huh? I'm, yeah,
1: it's it, it's been fun. I'm really glad. I am glad it's done because it's it was a huge series. It was, you know, each book was, it got into Brandon Sanderson lengths at times, and I'm not someone who typically writes books that are that long, so I had to do some cutting and stuff to keep it at the level that I like. But um, it was a lot of fun. And I one of the things I like best about it was it's a hardcore fantasy book for one book two books and the very last line of the second book you realize you're in a science fiction world and the whole so it moves from super powered people who have these gifts these magic powers and they all have these amazing abilities and then in the third book they're talking about genetic drift and uh, you know gene modification and stuff like that so you find out you're in a very different world than you had assumed for the first two it starts out as a very you know kind of a in the Tolkien epic quest kind of, uh, uh, legacy or tradition. And then by the end of book three, you are in a Star Trek episode. And I had a lot of fun with that.
0: That that sounds like fun. Um, especially when you, you kind of like pull the, the curtain out and you're like, surprise. Um, yeah. haha!
1: You thought you were reading fantasy, but I tricked you and you really do <laughs> like science fiction. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, you know, and they're, they both have their great places. Uh, I love science fiction and and fantasy, both in their own realms. Uh, yeah, you know, they've yeah. got great points. You know, that's that's the reason why people love Star Trek or they love Star Wars. You know, some people. Yeah. It, it depends on whose nope. camp you're in. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> you know, I like them both. I'm very Catholic. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. You know, but honestly, I, I admit there's nothing more cooler than a, a blazing sword of light that cuts through everything compared to a phaser. It just, it does, yeah. and a tricorder. Oh. It just doesn't work for me. But that's okay. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, uh, Star Trek is Star Trek is the hunt for Red October in space. I mean, and and that's cool. But submarine warfare and chess games are a very different creature, and and they do have a more limited audience. And that's why Star Trek has never been quite the huge sprawling extended universe kind of thing i mean they've got all their spinoffs and stuff like that but they're just they haven't had the cultural resonance of star wars and i think that is simply because of the cool factor it is you know every kid who saw star wars wanted to have a lightsaber you know and not every kid who saw star wars was like can i have a flip phone and a tricorder
0: yeah yeah Except for my dad. So, yeah. My, my dad has it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And the uniform. Dude, I loved my flip phone, man. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, and, and he has to point out every time, you know, you know where a flip phone came from, right? I'm like, yes, yep. I know. It was. I actually had a
1: Star Wars model. It was called the Star Wars model flip phone.
0: I mean Star Trek? Or
1: Star Trek. Yeah. Star Trek, rather. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. Please don't beat on me, loyal fans.
0: <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, uh. I, I know they had those. Uh But you're right, it is kind of the hunt for Red October in space, and we'll go to the next planet, and hello, how are you, type thing. Um,
1: Yeah, well, like the whole, I mean, Wrath of Khan, the whole ending is absolutely a submarine chase, you know, they, they... rigged for silent running and they can't see each other and and they're moving around three dimensionally through this swirling vortex instead of the ocean but it was all it was all the same stuff i'd seen in das boot or any of the world war ii submarine movies i saw with my grandpa once upon a time and and i love that stuff i actually just watched hunt for red october with the two my two oldest kids who finally got old enough to like be able to put themselves in a 1980s thriller mindset you
0: know i love the hunt for red october don't get me wrong, oh, Sean so Connery good. is amazing, one of my all-time yeah. favorite actors, but he's Russian, and he speaks with a Scottish accent the whole I know, time. I know, <laughs> It, it was... Like,
1: it... There were some stinker moments, but, you know, I I will say I loved the way they switched from Russian to English, because in the beginning, it's all, everyone's speaking Russian, and he's still speaking Russian with a, you know, my little babushka, you know, but he's speaking Russian, and then there's a moment where a guy is reading a passage from uh something written by oppenheimer who created the atomic bomb and he as he reads the camera pushes in on his mouth and when it gets to the very last moment he switches to english and it reels out and there's no more russian in it oh just that moment it was such a good moment i love i love instances like that where you go wow i am in the hands of somebody who knows how to tell this story the best way not just like a good way but there was no way they could have done that better. And it, it, yeah. I love, I live for those little moments in storytelling.
0: Well, it definitely was good. Cause then you didn't have to worry about reading subtitles or anything like that. And so oh, there was like, it was okay, beautiful. It's now English. So that you can pretend that you can speak Russian, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was yep. weird because everyone awesome. else was speaking English, but he was Scottish. But that's okay. Yeah,
1: right. That's okay. Well, but, you know, the other people, they all had British accents. I mean, it had Sam Neill in it, and so he's sitting there trying not to be Australian half the time. (laughs) So the accents, yes, were all over the place. But I just said in my head, I was like, okay, so Scottish accent is the dubbed equivalent of Georgian, (laughs) and Australian English, he must be Ukrainian. So I just kind of, like, made up a little. They just got really complex with their casting to keep it
0: actually really consistent. (laughs) he's ukrainian <laughs> there you go yes yeah. now it's time to drink some vodka <laughs> yeah oh
1: uh, uh, now i'm gonna have to go watch that movie again duh. yeah
0: it, it's a classic uh, there are some movies that i just love to watch and my kids just shake their head like highlander i love highlander i don't know how many times i can oh my gosh not watch that Dude. movie and my kids just walk in and go like really this yeah. again and it's like well, how can you not love this Because
1: it's terrible. I love it, too. But, like, I remember I was watching TV and it comes on and my wife and I had just been married about two or three years, I think, and I go, come here, you gotta watch this. It's the best movie ever. Guy lives forever unless he gets his head chopped off and she's like, sounds great. And I go, sword fights in New York. So she sits down and she was actually getting into it um, because she's awesome, you know, until the love scene kind of (laughs) happens and there's that awful song like, you want to live forever? And she just, like, that was it she went uh, and we're done she she just couldn't hang with that yep. music Yeah
0: Queen comes in I mean the rest of the soundtrack is awesome but yeah that was kind of
1: Oh man yeah. and that's another one Sean Connery he's an Egyptian Irishman <laughs> like he I lived 600 years ago in Egypt and was given this samurai sword by the queen of the you know it's yeah. like wow you guys really didn't check your geography at all <laughs> Yeah
0: that's and, he's, okay. and
1: he's like an Egyptian named Ramirez who speaks with a, with a Welsh accent. That's yep. great.
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> he's traveled around a lot.
1: Yeah. 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 You pick up accents and, yeah. and you know, skin color, know. I yeah. guess. Yeah.
0: But Sean, Sean Connery, how, yeah. You, you just let him yeah. do his thing. Uh, yeah. Too bad he, he doesn't was awesome. act anymore. I, he would have been Mom, an awesome Dumbledore. You know?
1: oh he would have been better than what's his name who was the second one the first one was richard harris yeah richard harris and um, he was fantastic the second guy i never could get behind
0: yeah what is his name i i I, everyone knows i'm not a huge harry potter fan so that's not too amazing that i don't know it uh (laughs) i'm
1: Hey, not to interrupt your awesome interview, but uh, I'm hearing a buzz. Is it is it messing up on your side, or is it just me? Uh,
0: I'm not hearing a buzz, but it could be something. You're back. Oh, you can hear me. Okay. All right.
1: Yeah, it went away. away. Okay. So back to so the thing with Dumbledore that ticked me off the first Dumbledore was so good because he was just he knew everything. You could not outmaneuver Dumbledore, and he had there's that Obi-Wan Kenobi, not even Obi-Wan Kenobi, like he had the Yoda thing going. Yoda was just always calm because he knew whatever was going to happen would happen and he would and could deal with it. And then the second Dumbledore came in and he just seemed like a pissed off (laughs) ex-hippie who realized that flower power didn't work and never quite recovered. It's just the whole look of him and his attitude and he was always barking and I was kind of going, man, I would have bailed if I was Harry and you know, for Dumbledore 2.
0: Yeah, yeah. it was Michael uh, Gambon who played the yes, other one. Yes, yes. But I don't know. And I, he's a good actor. He is. And, you know, I know with the, the Fantastic Beast, Jude Law as him being younger. Oh, nailed it. He, yeah, definitely did a great job. But he looks more closer to Richard Harris than uh, Michael Gambon. Yes. So it's just kind of like... he played
1: it like Richard Harris too. Yeah, and
0: it's kind of like, wow, Dumbledore really aged badly between... Yeah. Year two and three. Yeah, but
1: you think... he That was like 100 years later. So, I mean, if you think about the math, he's doing pretty good. He looked like a pretty spry 80-year-old, and he's like 114, True. according True. to that
0: timeline. Yeah. I, I would like to be able to be <laughs> that spry at 114.
1: Um, um, I don't know, man. People say, like, oh, I'd love to live that old, but I'm... Like, I tell my wife kind of jokingly, I say, when I'm 50, I'm going to take up skydiving, like really dangerous halo drops and stuff like that. Because I just, I don't know if I'd be a good, super old person. I think my body has fallen apart enough to this point that I do not foresee a future where I'm one of those dudes running around at 90 power walking and then unicycling and stuff like that. I'm going to be one of those people who's like, change my bedpan, it's too heavy.
0: But you could be like Lee Rogers and get like bionic parts, like bionic legs and hey arms man, and stuff. I,
1: I've got I've got that stuff. You know, I've got like steel pins in my neck and say, yeah. Other outside cybernetics is highly overrated, at least in
0: today's technology. You're right, but by the time maybe fifties coming around. No, just kidding. Uh, yeah. Maybe you will. You know, like telescopic well, yeah. well, eyes. Right. And the, yeah. And they'll be like, who can we put
1: all this incredible hardware into? I know that writer guy, because yeah. who needs to be able to jump over buildings like a writer who's going to sit and eat chips every day.
0: But hey, they'll know you're a perfect <laughs> guinea pig because you've already said you want a gold baby inside you. So hey, that's true. Maybe, that's true. Maybe the gold that,
1: baby thing maybe, is a is a perk
0: that that's the uh, that's the entryway. <laughs>
1: Like, yeah. Yeah. He, he... And there, and it, and it goes back to the web browser thing too, because they'll be, you know, I can come and say it's incredibly dangerous, and it will hurt a lot, and I'll go no way, and they'll say we will show your browser history to all the people at church, and I'll be like, please don't do that. <laughs> I'll say that <laughs> but not for the normal. Give you the, the normal man. reason.
0: Yeah.
1: They're going. Oh, did you hear about Michael Brent's browser? Oh, is he into like weird porn? No, but he has looked up how to blow things up way too many times.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've done that myself, was, and what kind of guns can actually mow a, a door in half? And
1: uh, yeah, oh, totally. Yeah, of course. That's why I just I just call Larry Korea for that. i you know, I'll just admit my ignorance and phone somebody who knows all that stuff.
0: Yeah, I should probably invest in the Larry Korea knowledge more. Um, <laughs> we.
1: We, I get to tell everybody. I, so if you don't know Larry Korea, he is a very successful author. He writes a really cool series called Monster Hunter International, and he writes an even better series, which is less well-known, but it's his, like, masterpiece. Um, the first book is called Son of the Black Sword. And so he's a big gun enthusiast. He used to own his own gun shop. He wrote yeah. literally the most shared piece on gun control in internet history, and um, and we went shooting, and I outshot him my second time ever shooting. Wow! Gr- yes. Now, granted, he had a severely sprained wrist, and he was shooting with his <laughs> wrong hand on the sprained wrist. But hey, the point a win is, is a win on my second time ever.
0: <laughs> yep, you can say you outshot Larry. That's a win.
1: Hey, man. Totally. Hey, you know what? The Olympics, the gold medalist is the gold medalist, and it doesn't matter if the guy who's usually better hurt himself the day before. Exactly. He's still the freaking gold medalist. Yep,
0: that is true. <laughs> that's, that's like it. You know, the Xbox achievements that pop up, you, know, you had Beat yep. Larry Korea pop up right over yep. your head at that, at that <laughs> moment. Totally. And he's
1: fun, too, because when we went and shot it, was really cool, because uh, you know, I'd never shot before. He took me my first time, and and um, and he said, I'll bring some guns. And, and you know, I know what guns are, because I watch cop shows. Yeah. And I, he goes, what do you want to shoot? And I said, what do you got? And I expected he'd, you know, pull out a couple of guns. Or he'd even do the kind of action hero thing where he pulls out a gun from his pocket and another gun from his holster and another gun from behind. Well, he pulls out this satchel, and he... And it was like a scroll of guns. He just (laughs) unrolled it across the table. And (laughs) there were 15 15 guns. He goes, we'll start with this one, which is, you know, the twenty-two, the little one. And it went all the way up to these very awesome, large, scoped rifles. And Oh, it was so fun. We had a good time.
0: Tell me, at least you got to fire a Desert Eagle.
1: I did. Nice. I did, I did, and that that one was actually anticlimactic because you hear so much about those it's like it's got a pretty big kick, and I went meh. I mean, I, I, for better or for worse, maybe it's my inner psychotic, but I did not have the gun fear that a lot of people have. I didn't stress about it. I was just like, so how do you do it? And he showed me, and I shot, and I, you know, I hit the target every time. It was not a huge, scary thing. I really had fun. Yeah, um, I, which probably makes me sound like a bad person but no it
0: was no fun. I, I i don't think you are um you know, it, it, just like any other like a sword or a battle axe it's just a it's a weapon you know you can have fun yeah. with it it's not like you're going out and mowing people down uh with them uh you're out yeah. shooting targets and blowing up watermelons yeah. or stuff like that or out shooting larry korea so that's awesome Right, I'm gonna.
1: I am actually gonna put that as my tagline for every book from now on. Every book, <laughs> the description is not gonna be about the book. It's just gonna say, "I outshot Larry Korea."
0: <laughs> Should have that on your table, big old like gold, be, the, a medal. Outshot Larry Korea. Awesome. So buy my book.
1: <laughs> yeah, except for now. If he ever hears this, he's gonna just take me <laughs> and beat the crap out of me. He
0: probably will. It's like, okay, Michael Brent, <laughs> we got. We, my my wrist doesn't hurt. We gotta. We gotta solve this.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's, we're gonna shoot again. Okay, why are you pointing it at me this time, Larry? You know?
0: <laughs> better this time he's gonna like, yeah, you know, turn backwards, blindfold himself, and do it that way.
1: Oh well. So the first time we shot, it's really interesting because you know I really I did okay. He was he he was like you've never shot before because I hit what I aimed at pretty much every time. You know, yeah. I wasn't I, I you know I couldn't draw a happy face on the target, but it was. I think it was 25 yards out to start, and I put everything in center mass. And so he was really impressed, and I was like, oh, I'm pretty good. Maybe, you know, I'm a prodigy. And then he pulls out his guns, and, you know, it was like, I think he just shot through the same hole every time. <laughs> and then he, um, I guess he used to be like a state-level rated um, shotgun uh did competitive shotguns. So he pulls out a shotgun and he shows how to shoot it. And I shot it and it was fun. And then he grabs five shells. He's got hands the size of like Nebraska. So he grabs five shells and just sticks them between his fingers. As he's pumping, he is loading faster than I could just pump. It was, and I'm sitting there, you know, every once in a while you see something that goes, wow, that's what an Expert looks like because a lot of our lives, I think, we confuse being pretty good at stuff for expert. And then you meet an expert, and you go, "Oh yeah, I'm not like that." Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah I, I definitely understand that. I mean, I, I'm I'm pretty decent, I would say. I'm not amazing because you know my grandpa taught me how to shoot and how to hold the gun right and everything uh-huh. like that. But there are some people, and Larry's one of them. You know, when he's talking about in his books, how people are like loading quickly and stuff like that, it's probably because he really can do that. He knows exactly how to do that and he's not just like, oh yeah, I met this other guy and he showed me how to do this. No, Larry can do it. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Which is fun, I love. And that's, you know, that's so neat. That's a neat thing about hanging out with authors is they're really, we grew up, I think now nerds are cooler. And when I was a kid,
0: You hit in the closet and never talk
1: about it. Yeah, it wasn't being a nerd wasn't cool. It meant you got beat up and stuff. And so, a lot of people who are older than 35, say, kind of view nerds differently, I think. And so, it's really surprising, even to me, when I talk to an author and he goes, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm a state ranked shotgun competitor. I am. I was hanging out, I was talking to Jonathan Mayberry, who's another great author, um, writes a wonderful series called The Joe Ledger Books, super popular, has a uh netflix series coming out i think this year called v wars which is going to be a lot of fun and we're we're sitting there just kind of rapping and he's like an eighth degree black belt he's been doing martial arts his whole life and you just kind of don't tend to put that image together you know i'm a writer i can also kill you (laughs) with a popsicle stick and and make it look easy you know (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah no it, it's amazing actually there are quite a few uh authors i know that are black belts and stuff like that and some of them yeah, women well, i've
1: done i've done martial arts my whole life too and and it does kind of make sense because you realize like hey i'm really tired of getting beaten up and that's what happened to me but even so even though i do that stuff and i do <laughs> i have swords on my wall and that's going to be my big plan when my oldest daughter starts dating is to have each boy meet me in front of the sword cabinet and say your choice. If you mess up, will be which one of these goes in you. Mm -hmm. That'll be the last choice you get. Um, so like I do that stuff and I've always done that stuff and it's still part of me goes, but that doesn't seem very writerly. So when I meet a writer who does something like that, Oh, I played, you know, I was on the football team at UCLA. I was a starter or, I did shooting competitions, or I'm a 44-degree black belt, you know, and beat up Bruce Lee in an alley fight. It just still seems kind of weird, but... But it's not. Authors are really cool people and they're interested in all sorts of different stuff and that makes them endlessly fascinating because they're always you know, it's not somebody who's gonna come up and say the same thing typically over and over and over again. It's gonna be a new thing every day depending on what they're writing about or reading about and yeah. I, I think that's just such a privilege to live a life where I get to I get to research and educate myself on whatever I feel like that day. <laughs> yeah, I
0: mean it's a job where you never stop learning, kind of. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah not course.
1: at all, and it's it's fantastic, so yeah. hopefully enough people buy the Sword Chronicles books so I can keep doing it.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> they should, I mean, your books, uh, honestly, your books are great, they're fantastic, uh, I definitely have a lot more to learn before I get to that level, especially, I mean, there's sometimes you just put in twists in the way you describe things, I feel like I'm pretty good, Aww. but I have yet yet to have scared known to have scared someone so badly that they have to walk through their own house which they know the doors are <laughs> locked with their lights on so yes
1: so i'm i'm talking to somebody at a at a convention and this other guy kind of walks up behind her and and he just out of nowhere he says that book scares me so bad i was reading it and all of a sudden my gun was in my lap and i i wasn't sure if that was more of a sales point for me or against
0: me. <laughs> I say that was a four.
1: <laughs> she did buy the book. And he he's a cool guy. I say it jokingly, but I, you know, I would met him before and, and we became friends and stuff. But, oh, yeah, he said, the first time I read your book, I'm reading it, and it was terrifying. And I looked down and I realized I kept reading the book gone to my gun cabinet unlocked it one handed and sat with it on my lap because I was terrified
0: <laughs> wow no I mean I grew up watching horror movies like nonstop. they normally don't affect uh-huh. me in any way shape or form I read your book and <laughs> I end up like sweating bullets or it's like oh, I start looking out my windows and stuff like that walking through oh. my house with the lights on so I mean that's great because I don't normally get scared, so I love that, because it's something that's actually terrifying enough yeah. right that it's like, okay, I it, it bought into the story, I bought into what's going on, and it's terrifying me, I'll watch, Oh, like, uh, well,
1: that makes me feel good. Yeah,
0: I'll watch movies like The Saw, or Nightmare on Elm Street, and I'm just like, this is stupid, why did I pay money to see this? I mean, I went and saw The Ring, same thing. Well, you
1: know, well it's because, you know why, it's because you're, I think part of it is, um, and I get those comments a lot as far as people say, like, oh, that never scared me and, and this did. And I think part of it is because I tend to write about families, you know, and I, I tend to write about things that more people understand because as fun as those movies that you mentioned are, they're all kind of in that teenager um, or at least people who are very attractive and not necessarily – um, actively engaged in life, you know, they're all kind of at that play stage of their lives. And, you know, we've all been there to some degree or other, but then we move into stuff that's more stable. And of course, more stable means if you lose it, it hurts more. And I, I think that's one of the things that freaks people out most is, is I tend to put families in danger and there's no guarantee that the kids will make it you know or that the parents will make it and that that scares people because at a base level we all want to go home and find mommy and daddy there or find our kids there or our spouse or whatever it is so the idea that those basic things can be
0: taken is is a scary thing oh no i agree yeah i i've woken up in a cold sweat you know from a nightmare of something happened to one of my kids it's like Ugh! but you know you, you immediately yeah. run in and check on them oh they're safe everything's good i can breathe now but um yeah it well, is definitely yeah. terrifying
1: yeah i will if my kids don't wake up and i'll go hey, hey hey and like the third one is i start punching because part of my brain just goes to like what if they're dead you know and it's oh, no. it is yeah it just completely upends me
0: yeah, I've, I've I've been there same place where like they're so dead asleep that you kind of nudge yep. them and nothing, and you are like, are they breathing? And you know you got to get closer and <laughs> totally. examine, and if there it doesn't look like it is okay, and you nudge a little bit harder, hey hey, and then they wake up like what? Well, leave me alone! Like okay, you're good. Yep. I can go relax. Go back to sleep. Go yeah. back to
1: sleep pretend this never happened yeah I have that same thing and it happens of course when they're sleeping and I am not I can't see very well in the dark like I've lost a lot of my night vision acuity and because I have done martial arts for most of my life I don't have a lot of feeling in my hands like i mean i've i have punched hard things for long periods of time and it messes with your nerve endings and so like i look at them and i go i can't tell if they're breathing because it's too dark i'll feel them i don't know if they're breathing you know so yeah again i i go hello hello and the third hello is very loud and very much a get up because you're freaking me out kind of thing and then the dumb part this is such a parent thing you go wake up and they do and you're like oh shoot go
0: back to sleep yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 no. Go back to bed. It's okay. Yeah.
1: And then, then you get
0: upset because they, they wake up and not I didn't want you to be up. I just
1: wanted to know you were alive. Can't we just agree you're alive and have you go back to sleep?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yes, that would be nice. (laughs) But unfortunately that doesn't always work.
1: (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, these are the secrets you find out as a parent. Yep. But it's all good story stuff.
0: Yeah. I love my kids, but man, sometimes...
1: Well, here's the thing too, is like people, people, I think the hardest thing about being a parent isn't the ups or the downs, it's that they happen so close together and it's like emotional whiplash 82 times a day because you look at this kid who just, you know, it's like, oh, I decided to cut my hair, you know, and then set fire to the cat and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to murder you. And then he goes, but look at this face I'm making and you go, oh, I love you so much. And then the next second it's, you know, I stuck something in a light socket and the house burned down and... And it's just, it's so fast back and forth and back and forth. And I did not know it was possible to love someone so much <laughs> and just hate everything that they were doing so much, so many times
0: a day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, my five-year-old, I love her to death, but you'll walk in and you, you can see the disaster that she has just made. Oh, yeah. And then she yeah. just looks up at me, kind of tilts her head and goes, hi, and does her little smile. And you're like... Don't even try to play cute here. You're in trouble. You just like like the other night, she drew all over the wall in butter. Because we took her crayons away. So she's like, Okay, forget you, I'm gonna use butter. So she butter hey, all over solver. all over the window, all over the wall, and then I walk in there and I'm like, What in the world did you do? I got bored?
1: It- Made perfect sense in her head, I guarantee you.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, with let's what happens? What's going to happen in wrapping up this series with Child of Ash? Let's talk about that a little bit, because yet again, we've wandered. Right.
1: <laughs> Back to book stuff. So, like I said, that, the basic concept of the series is there are these five mountains. And uh, that is where the great majority of the book takes place, is on top of the five mountains. They're connected by bridges, and that is where the empire that this book is placed in uh, occurs. It's on top of these mountains, and no one's ever gone down them, because everyone who goes down the mountain, there's a cloud bank a thousand feet below, and anyone who goes in the next morning, they show up nailed to a spike in front of the palace, and no one knows how they get there. So it's this closed system. And in the first book, um, one of the things they do to keep population down is they sell their kids to become gladiators, but there's no chance of escape. These kids are just gonna fight until they're dead. And one day, um, one of the girls who's in these, they're called kennels, they call the kid dogs, they strip them of their identity. And one of the dogs is this woman, or this um, this girl, this teenager, and she uh, is about to be killed by the opposing team. And someone throws a knife at her feet, which is against the rules. And she picks it up anyways. And so there's riflemen. Um, there's it's a magic world, at least in the first book, but the magic fuels technology. So they have guys who shoot essentially guns um, that are just they have. Enchanted pieces of metal that will fling out very fast when you open up a chamber and these guys shoot her and she cuts the bullets out of the air. So it turns out she is um, this incredibly powerful magic user Um, and she becomes an assassin for the Empire, kind of keeping order and keeping things in line. And, and of course, finds out eventually that she might be fighting for the wrong people and, you know, the rebels that she's been hunting and killing might be the good guys. So the first book is sort of just her journey, finding out what she is and who she is. And then the second book, um, they have fixed some things. And the problem with fixing things is it always causes more things to break. You know, we can never... Get to a point where everything's just hunky dory because there's always unintended consequences to actions. So, the whole second book is dealing with unintended consequences of everything in the first book, and then, and then at the end of the second book, like I said, it kind of pulls the rug out and says this world that you thought you were in, it's much bigger and it's completely different than what you imagined. So, um, Child of Ash was lots of fun because I got to take a fantasy universe and, like I said earlier, put it into. Um, a world where they're talking about genetic modifications and mutations and environmental disasters and things like that 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 we worry about today to some extent, um, and seeing if I could tie up a bunch of fantasy threads into neat little science fiction bows, and and I think it worked. I think you know the early readers have really enjoyed it, and and um, reviews are coming on that think it's uniformly great, and. And that's really gratifying, but mostly I really I was just kind of I sat back and went, wow, I did that.
0: <laughs> yeah. So that's awesome. So what what project is next? Um, you, you definitely have probably a plethora of ideas <laughs> running on in your head.
1: Um, next up, I am going to do a piece called Scavenger Hunt, and um, some people uh, go on a game show. It's it's one of those reality tv shows kind of thing and and they're given scavenger hunts so there's going to be five or six players and they go to the first house they each have like a little apple watch that flashes what they're supposed to get and they say you know can i have a ball in the second house their apple watch says you know get a toy can i get a toy and the third house it flashes and says steal something worth ten thousand dollars or more and it very quickly becomes uh a very different sort of game that brings out the worst and the best in them.
0: Okay. Sounds extremely interesting. Because um, there could be a lot that happens, you know, who knows? They might yeah. get a message, kill your neighbor. Um, it,
1: yep, stuff like, well, yeah, one of one of the houses, is not going to be a big spoiler, but one of the houses, the thing they have to find is a dead body, and and very quickly realize that there are no dead bodies in the house, so they might have to make one.
0: Oh wow! yeah, that's gonna be fun, uh, yeah,
1: it's a happy story.
0: yes, it sounds like a, <laughs> a it sounds like a joyous trip to McDonald's to go get a happy meal uh, yep,
1: yep, yep, pretty so, much well, but they all they all kind of are I mean even the ones that there are I write books that do end badly sometimes, but I tell people, um you know, they're books that still are hopeful because uh, first of all, for horror to matter it has to exist in a universe where there's a real thing called good and a real thing called bad. And, and so that reminds us there are good things out there. And the neat thing about books, scary books in particular, I think is even in a book where everybody dies and it says the end, it's a lie because you close the book and the end just means time to start a new story. And I think that has a real value in our lives, knowing, that no matter how dark things get, the end really rarely is the end. Usually, it's an excuse or an opportunity to start something new, and very often that new thing is brighter and, and nicer than what we already enjoyed.
0: Yeah. So, one one more question: Is yeah. there ever going to be a sequel to the Con Book, where all oh, sorts of craziness was happening? Yeah, happening in the longest con. <laughs>
1: Would love it. Um, so, for those of your listeners who don't know, I wrote this story called "The Longest Con," and the concept is everyone you know knows that people go to comic cons and dress as monsters, but what you don't know is monsters go to comic cons and cosplay as people. And the problem, of course, is that monsters tend to eat and murder real people. So, the con organizers seed sort of like undercover air marshals throughout the area. And those marshals are in charge. They're called wardens, and they're in charge of keeping the peace and keeping murders from happening or solving the murder and punishing the monster when they do. So that's kind of the, the concept. The fun of it, though, is that all of the main characters are friends of mine who are big-name authors um, who play the main parts in the book. So Larry Curry is in it as a supernatural arms dealer, um, Kevin J. Anderson, who writes you know, Star Wars books and, and Dune books, and he's a fantastic author. He plays the essentially most powerful wizard in the world, and Orson's got cards in it, and um, Dave Butler, Mercedes Yardley, just lots of fun people. And so, yeah, I'd like to do a sequel. Uh, I talked to Jim Butcher, actually, at the last con we were both at because I would love for him to be a bad guy. Um, and, and he's got this really big, luxurious mane of hair. So I, I was kind of toying with it being a a wig secretly and he's bald kind of a Lex Luthor guy. (laughs) Um, because that's part of the fun. Like, Kevin Anderson it, it plays this mean guy in the first book. And it was playing against who Kevin is because he is
0: probably, if Super anything, nice he's guy. too nice. He's yeah. one of those two nice people. <laughs> and then, then you made, like, Dave Butler, a giant robot that licks things, if I remember right. Yes, yeah, so
1: yeah. he's he's an enchanted... he. He does not know magic exists. Dave is is a, is a pretty successful author too, and he's brilliant. He literally, I can call him and go, "What's up?" and he goes, "Oh, I'm just reading a book in Etruscan, you know,",
0: know. and
1: um, he's just super brilliant. So I thought I'll make him a forensics kind of machine mm-hmm. that can pick up monster DNA but that wasn't quite fun enough. So I made it that he's enchanted and it only works when he's enchanted And the way he tests things is by licking them. So he's constantly going around licking body parts and trying to pick up DNA samples by licking random strangers. And that was a lot of fun. Dave's a really good friend of mine. So it was like, I got to call him up and be like, dude, you are going to crap yourself when you read this.
0: (laughs) It it was a great book. Um, So I would love to see a sequel. Um, yeah. yeah, I'd have to stick
1: you in it probably, huh? I,
0: I would not say no. <laughs> I would definitely not say no. Whether I die or live, completely different story. I don't care. A
1: red shirt, yeah.
0: Yeah, well, it fits. I'm, I, I have red hair, so yeah. Yes. Yeah.
1: There you go. That would be awesome. Yeah, so, so long answer, short question. Uh yeah, I would love to do it, and, and hopefully I will get around to it. Um, being my own pub, publisher and marketing guy and indie author, and there's always kind of a question of what do I think is going to sell next? What do, you think, what do I think my fans need and want? And, and, and that's a very fluid thing, so I, it's hard to plan out much beyond the next two books and things get real hazy at that point but i would definitely love to return to the world that was one of the most fun fun i had and i'm one of the characters too i'm the main i'm the warden who has to solve this murder and i'm constantly in over my head which is pretty accurate to reality so it was kind of fun to to vent that stuff and i got to be really sarcastic and snarky in the book and it was it's a fun book
0: yeah Definitely is. So, where can I, I'm sh- for those that know you? They already know where to find you. But those that don't know you and have enjoyed our conversation and are like, okay, I need to read what this guy, this crazy guy is writing. Where can they find you?
1: Um, so, the easiest way to find me is either my website, which is called writteninsomnia.com. It's easy to remember, it's written insomnia stories that keep you up all night. Or my first name is Michael Brent. And if you just Google that, all is one word Michael Brent you'll come up with my Amazon page and my IMDb page and my website and all that cuz there are no other Michael Brents in the world.
0: Which that's good. Yeah. You know.
1: Yeah, oh, it makes makes me easy to find. Yeah, you know, when awesome. you,
0: when you're Dan Wells, you go to look for him, you find uh, a weird crazy Eight underwear million. model. Uh, there
1: no, well that's me too, but
0: <laughs> <laughs> you secretly. Yes. <clears throat>
1: Yeah, that's my double life. I will tell you, though, that trying to figure out – because I designed my own book covers and trying to figure out a cool way to write Michael Brent Collings a, was a bitch because it just takes up so much space. Yes. <laughs> I,
0: I can see that. Maybe you just come up with a really cool MBC logo. Not NB, not MB, but MBC.
1: Yeah, uh... I actually toyed with that because – and, and honestly, if I had it to do over, I probably would. I'd go like full share or Madonna, and I'd just be Michael Brent. Yeah. But I've already branded myself as Michael Brent Calling, so I'm. You know, I dug that hole, and now I have to stay in it.
0: That's okay. You know, but you Stupid. could be like Prince, and just like, hey, I'm reinventing myself. So I'm now the weird oblong symbol on whatever keyboard. Yeah. yeah, I'd be
1: the artist formerly known as Michael Brent Collings. I think that would take up more <laughs> cover space.
0: <laughs> more cover space. Oh, That could just be the whole book title.
1: Yeah, right, the artist formerly known as Michael Brent Collings. That would be a longest con sequel, definitely.
0: Yeah, that might be awesome. <laughs> so, all right, folks. Uh, there are so many books, I can't even list them off, uh, that Michael Brent has put out. Uh, just look them up. They're all fantastic. Uh, Like we talked about earlier, there was Predators that recently came out. Uh, There are all three books of the Sword Chronicles available to you and so much more, uh, like the Colony series. Check it out, buy some books, uh, make Michael Brent happy, and then get that crap scared out of you because it will happen. (laughs) So with that said, we're out of here.
1: Thanks, Dan.